Hello and welcome to Get Me Another, a podcast where we explore those movies that followed in the wake of blockbuster hits and attempted to replicate their success. My name is Chris Iannacone and with me, as always, is my co-host, Rob Lamorgis. Hello, everybody. Now, this is the second episode in our series exploring the cycle of urban crime films that began with New Jack City and Boys in the Hood, both of which we discussed last week. We start today with a film that came out in early 1992. Juice. Up and die for that stuff if you want to, Juke. Check this out. It's gonna be a piece of cake, Q. Yeah, man, it'll be a piece of cake. We go in, right before 11, get the loot, and jet. I got a DJ Saturday night, you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to miss that for nobody. GQ! I hold on to the gun. Why should he hold on to the gun? Because I already got it! Hey, Juice was the feature directorial debut of Ernest Dickerson, who co-wrote the screenplay with Gerard Brown. Before he turned to directing, Dickerson had a tremendous career as a cinematographer. He shot all of Spike Lee's films from She's Gotta Have It all the way through Malcolm X, as well as numerous other films, including John Sayles' Brother from Another Planet. Following Juice, he directed more feature films, including one of our favorite horror films of the 90s, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. Uh, he's also directed more episodes of television over the last three decades than I can count. Um, and I could say as a, a personal aside, at one point I was an assistant at an agency where Ernest Dickerson was the client, uh, was, was one of my boss's clients, and he, he was a heck of a nice guy. I talked to him on the phone a couple of times, and, uh, and he's a terrific person. Um, Juice stars Omar Epps, Tupac Shakur in his acting debut, Khalil Kane, Jermaine Hopkins, as well as early appearances of Samuel L. Jackson and Queen Latifah. It tells the story of four friends growing up in Harlem who spend their time avoiding the police and street gangs, hanging out the neighborhood arcade, and engaging in petty theft. Omar Epps' character Q aspires to be a DJ and enters in a local DJ competition. The same night, that group decides to rob a local convenience store, and the robbery, as you may guess goes very badly, and from that point, everything starts to spiral out of control. Okay, so first off, I want to do this at the top. I always mean to do it every week, but I, I want to do it for sure and put in a spoiler warning at the beginning, particularly for Juice, because it would be hard to talk about the film without discussing what occurs uh, during the robbery at the midpoint and then its subsequent fallout. Um, like Boys in the Hood, it's a film about friends growing up in a difficult neighborhood surrounded by crime and drugs. And it has a lot of the same themes as Boys in the Hood. Yeah, one of the big differences is, um, and it will, it, it'll feel like I'm talking about something that's very surface level, but I actually think it, it infiltrates much deeper into the film, is that this is East Coast. Yeah. So this is New York City, even down to the score by uh, Hank Shockley and the Bomb Squad, which is excellent. But there are many things about this that, and look, it's it's fair or not, and I would say it's probably not fair. Sure. Uh, East Coast hip hop and rap had been uh, the the 
the top dog for from the beginning, really. Sure. And West Coast styles had uh, lagged behind. This is the exact era where all of a sudden the East Coast, again, fair or not, was starting to feel less fresh and the West Coast was ascendant uh, in the popular consciousness, at least. And so it's it was interesting to me to I'd never seen Juice before. So full mm -hmm. full disclosure um, where I just in seeing kind of like those New York brownstones and like the that New York style of hip hop. This felt a little bit like a throwback just from those elements. Again, probably not fair to the film. Yeah, I was thinking how how the 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 L.A. New York thing you know created some some just sort of kind of key differences between those films. Uh, in particular, the geography of New York makes a big difference. There is a vertical dimension to New York City that L.A. simply does not have, and that gives opportunities uh, in terms of like how the, some of these scenes are are composed and shot that you couldn't do in L.A. because L.A., you know, I mean, maybe a house has a second story, whereas, you know, there's there's stuff they could do. You know, there's one scene where where uh, Q is, is looking out the window of his of his high-rise apartment down at, you know, at another character in the alley, and it's just, there's just a fundamental geography uh, that is different in, in this, and it, that was, it was just an interesting dimension. Yeah, and even the, uh, even later on, the DJ battle. Which, by yeah. the way, is one of my favorite scenes in this movie. I it's just fantastic. want to say it's it is amazing. And look, I know, like Public Enemy was still putting out records. There, this style sure. of music was happening, and yet having that particular DJ battle in this movie, kind of post NWA, it makes it feel old fashioned a little mm -hmm. bit. Uh, and I realize that yes, historically, they were both concurrent. Um, they right. were both happening at that same time. But it really is that thing, as you say, the the decades kind of bleed into each other. You don't have a clean switch. No, and never it just do. feels like this is this is the fade out of a particular kind of East Coast uh, artistic movement and a fade up on the West Coast. And that this is, uh, you know, this is this movie feels on that you know the tail end of of that, which makes it a very interesting time capsule, I have to say. And I also think it's 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 interesting. You know, a group of there's something interesting about New York, and because New York is a place that so many people go to to succeed, but then of course you have you know plenty of people who grow up in New York or in the orbit of New York, whether it's the, the outer boroughs or you know I I grew up in New Jersey, but New York was always the center of the universe, and I think it's an interesting thing where there's that. Not you know, like the the people who try who are in New York and and yet aspirational for it as opposed to you know hey I moved to New York from you know Kansas or something like that it's 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 and there's an interesting relationship with the city it's it's you know what the kids in this movie you know it's it's funny because they're 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 different from the kids in Boys in the Hood um, and they're also different from the kids in Menace to Society which we'll talk about in a little bit but. Um, you know who they really reminded me of as ter in terms of characters uh, is they really reminded me of the guys from Saturday Night Fever. You know, oh it, sure. You know, I like can see they, that. you know, unlike the kids from Boys in the Hood, none of these guys were were planning to go to college. None of these guys were taking the SATs. You know, let alone going to Morehouse College in Atlanta. You know, they were. You know, again, 
cultural differences notwithstanding, they really felt like the those same guys from uh, you know from from Brooklyn in uh, in Saturday Night Fever. You know, kind of just living in the city and kind of but on the margins of it. Yeah, and with um, two big differences uh, amongst the characters themselves sure. in that in that rapper that you just uh, described, which is that Q has his dream. Uh, obviously, it's it's an artistic one to right. DJ, right? And in his mind, it's funny. They really do present it as he loves music. Yes. I think he genuinely loves DJing. It's not just a ticket out for him. But it, he is also cognizant of the fact it could be a ticket out. And then, uh, what? Uh, Steel and Raheem are a little kind of just, they're going with the flow of the neighborhood, right? They kind of live in the moment. There is no tomorrow. There's just right now. Bishop is the only other one who, like Q, is is somewhat forward-thinking and planning, but he is the mirror opposite. Here is a man who believes there is the only... There is no ticket out, and the only way you're going to get through is to be the biggest and the baddest, right? Right. Uh, there, you know, love is useless. There is only fear. Uh, he wants to be feared and therefore respected. And there's a nihilism to him, uh, which they take great pains to show. Oh, yeah. Um, from, like, really, from almost the first scene with him, where he Absolutely. shows up. Um, yeah, and, and for me, that's actually somewhat of a problem in that it feels like Bishop doesn't have a real arc like Nino did in New Jack City. Right. Look, Nino starts a criminal and a drug dealer, and he's right. killing a man in frame one. But he does spiral out of control the further it goes. It it, it feels like Bishop's kind of out of control from jump in this movie. And he it does increase, but I you know, it just feels like they could have maybe started him with a little further to go. Well, yeah, and, and I think that's one of one of my issues with this movie is that unlike Boys in the Hood, which is very much about the neighborhood and the influence that growing up in this neighborhood has on these characters who that otherwise are are at their core good people, but, you know, are struggling amongst the circumstances of the world that they live in. With Juice, it feels like, well, you know, if they didn't have this one crazy friend, they might have all been okay. You know, the the fact that, um, you know, the fact that they, they have this, you know, that, that Bishop, uh, you know, kind of sets these events in motion and then, you know, continues to, to escalate things as they go on. You say to yourself, well, if they didn't happen to be friends with a, a psychopath, you know, um, they might, you know, again, some of these things would have never happened. And that that is uh, where you run into one of just the, the bigger differences in that this is a genre picture Absolutely. in a way that Boys in the Hood is not. New Jack City definitely was. It was a you know very classic uh, American gangster film. Boys in the Hood was very much more a drama that happened to have crime elements. This feels like it's it is part a crime film. It's also part a thriller in that third act once uh, once things well, go yeah. really south with Bishop, which is we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get. So there. it's it's got a couple different genres mashed up, but it is and it feels like within that. It is taking, trying to take more time with the characters, which is admirable. But you just wind yeah. up with a much different mix than Boys in the Hood. Um, but you get more character in Juice than you necessarily, or more character scenes, I would say, pure character scenes in Juice than you do in, say, New Jack. Well, yeah, because you you have you're, you're setting the world that they live in, 
um, and you're setting who those characters are and how the four interact. Um, and, and because it doesn't really sort of kick into high gear until the robbery, yeah, you know, there's yeah. a lot of time sort of, oh, here's the, the, the kids interacting with each other. You know, it's, um, uh, it's interesting. Oh, like New Jack City, we, this is another movie that references other movies. Um, <laughs> yes. you know, they're, they're, they're at the how they're at one of their apartments watching the 1949 James Cagney movie, White Heat, uh, which is clearly foreshadowing for one of the characters. Um, but you know, it's, it, it, for me, it, it was less, it felt less authentic to me. Like, oh yeah, it makes sense that Nino Brown would be watching Scarface. The 1980s Scarface. Yeah. Right, the 1980s Scarface, not the uh, the Paul Muni Scarface uh, from the from the early 30s. But that they were watching White Heat felt a little like it, it was it, it was like well they wouldn't be watching that movie. I just felt like you know there, and later there's a there's a confrontation where where one of the gang's members that they go up against uh, makes a reference to Chinatown, and I said to myself, well that's that feels more like a uh, an NYU film school student reference more than a reference that some of these guys would make. Um, it is the uh, the nosy reference as uh, it someone's is the about nosy to reference. knife the yes. nose off. So, you know, so I don't disagree with anything that you just said there. But uh, there's a flip side with Dickerson, mm-hmm. and you know he's a, he's as anyone who makes a movie is he clearly loves movies, and I think some of that that shows in those references. But he is uh, as the former DP turned director. One of the things that I love and frequently find this with dps turned directors mm-hmm. is that every shot in this movie is amazing right uh the framing the lighting everything is just meticulously done and and so you're always having something interesting to look at uh and it does remind me because it is while it is so technically uh adept and and wonderful it does have kind of a classical hollywood nature to it at least where it's not very showy Right. And in that way, it feels more akin to what Singleton was doing in Boys in the Hood. Now, he he was even, I think, stripped down a bit more than Dickerson is here. Yeah. Whereas New Jack City, Van Peebles is having a lot of fun and being very showy. And I, I want to bring that up because uh, I think our second film falls into that category uh, with yes. the Hughes brothers. We will later talk on their direction is not straightforward and simple, but it is amazing in a whole different way. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about the robbery because because so much of this film hinges on that that scene at the midpoint where they go in to rob a convenience store, and at first it seems like it's going okay, um, but then it goes very very wrong very very quickly, and everything just from that point just completely goes. Uh, sideways. Um, it's interesting. They they plan on robbing a convenience store that they regularly frequent, which just doesn't seem like the best idea to start with. But uh, even though it's 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 going okay, it, it soon turns bloody uh, when Bishop shoots the convenience store owner in the head, and the other three guys are horrified. Bits and all of them flee to an abandoned building where Bishop uh, confronts and shoots Raheem. And so it's like you go from, you know, this, this thing where it's like, oh, yeah, they, they're, they're committing this crime and it's a, it's a bad idea to all of a sudden two people are dead, including one of the four friends. And it's, it's, it's a shocking scene. It's incredibly well done. Uh, and it, from that point forward, I think the movie changes entirely. 
I think there. I think this is one of those movies that splits down the center at the midpoint. Uh, the first half is a coming of age movie about four friends growing up under difficult circumstances, and the second half is Cape Fear. Yeah, and one of my. It, this is one of those things when you look at it. I can intellectually see that some things were set up for mm-hmm. this to happen, okay? So the, the convenience store uh, owner is Old Man Quillis, I think? Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't remember, remember what it is. Yeah. I remember exactly. But um, it is set up, I mean, really, really early on that uh, there's antagonism between him yes. and our four leads. Uh, he's yelling at them and they're yelling back. Uh, in the beginning, it is presented as very much more um, kind of like neighborhood stuff. Yeah. You know, as far as just, ah, oh, the cranky old guy who's yelling at the kids, right? Yeah. But nothing's really coming of it. And you, you pair that, though, you can see that Bishop's taking it differently than everybody else. So I can say intellectually that, you know, this stuff, the seeds for that mid midpoint scene were laid extremely early on. They have the breadcrumbs. And yet, when I'm in that scene in the robbery gone wrong, much, mm. much later... I don't know why Bishop shot him. Just me yeah. personally watching it. What it, it's not exactly played as Bishop taking the chance to finally kill a man that he's wanted to, who's been getting on his goat the whole time. It's also not quite oh he made a you know old man Quillis made a sudden move and Bishop right. got scared and shot him. It, it wasn't an, a question of nerves. No. Yeah, it, it, it's it it's not played like that it. way at all. And so, and then with Raheem in the immediate aftermath, where essentially, uh, and Q, I think, floats the idea first that they need to get rid of the gun, and Raheem agrees, because mm-hmm. it's a gun that killed a man. You don't want to be hanging on to that. You want to wipe it clean and get rid of it so that the cops can't tie you to uh, a murder. Pro tip, you need to get rid of the gun. Yeah, yeah. And Bishop really doesn't, because he loves having the gun. Right. And that that I get, right? They've set that up that he he wants to be the big man with the gun and he really he's really loved having it. Um and he's not rational. So I that, that's all viable. But when Raheem comes to get the gun, it, you know, there's a little bit of a scuffle and it I guess it's supposed to, you know, it's supposed to feel like an accidental shooting just in the scuffle for the gun. But it, I don't know, it just doesn't it feels not quite accidental nor intentional. I'm just, I'm just not yeah. sure of of what Bishop's uh, intention were in both of these scenes that are very close to each other and are extremely pivotal scenes. Yes, and 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 it, you're, I think you're right because it, it, it both shootings feel neither accidental nor. Uh, you know, it's not like, oh yeah, I thought he was going for something, and then I, you know, I shot him. Nor does it seem like from the beginning that Bishop, hey, listen, I just want to kill a guy. It's neither of those things, and it, it, it's, it, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but sometimes it feels like it's something that happened because the script needed it to happen. So, following the robbery gone wrong, um, Bishop basically spends the second half of the movie stalking his two remaining friends, and when I say stalking. He pops up everywhere. He is behind every locker. He is in every darkened hallway. He is in every empty stairwell. He pops up behind people more frequently than Michael Myers, I swear. And I will say, watching like the last half hour when this is really on overdrive, uh, I was it was so much fun for me because I'm sitting there going, 
this is why he got Demon Knight. This is why he's doing, you know, a million episodes of The Absolutely. Walking Dead. Uh, I guess he, he's directed a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even some of the tense sequences in The Wire, you could say, uh, you know, they have uh, some cat and mouse. I don't know about his specific episodes, yeah. but... Uh, but it, it, it's very apparent that he is, he is well-suited for this kind of genre filmmaking. And it really comes out in the second half of Juice. But I feel like the second half and the first half don't really connect there's such a there's such a a, a a a bifurcation of that of this film that it's it's kind of it's sort of odd and i think it takes away some of the movie's social commentary because instead of a group of kids whose situation you know comes out of the poverty and violence endemic to these neighborhoods it's these kids might have been okay if one of their friends wasn't a psycho yeah i mean you could make the argument that their friend was a psycho because of the environment that they were growing up in but I, in movie, in a movie effect, I, I can see what you're saying. And it is, it is odd in that I kind of liked both movies that Juice is. But it, there is, there is yes. a little bit of a, it's a really hard turn that the movie takes. Um, I rolled with it because I liked what was happening, but it does feel a little odd in the moment. Uh, but if you, if, if you're okay with that, you know, audience uh, out there. Uh, if you're okay with that kind of thing, I think you'll enjoy both of them. But just, you know, it, in some ways it might be helpful to know that that hard turn's coming and it probably makes it a little less jarring yeah. if you if you do. Um, it's, I mean, uh, you know, eventually Q buys a gun to protect himself, which, you know, ordinarily in these movies, buying a gun is, is a bad sign. Uh, don't do that. But in this rare instance, it seems like the only reasonable thing to do because, you know, dude, there's a guy hunting you. And then, of course, he throws the gun in the river. Yeah, but the getting the gun bit, I loved it. Oh, it's a great scene. It's come up before that the, the person you get the gun from in the neighborhood is Sweets. And Sweets is mentioned. Sweets is uh, yeah. where they got the gun that uh, Bishop, that Tupac has, I believe, somehow, like roundabout. Yes. Uh, like someone got it from Sweets for them or something. Uh, so finally Q, who has never met Sweets before and uh, gets the info on how to track Sweets down, goes to uh, whatever little uh, illegal gambling and bar spot that there is in the neighborhood. And Sweets is this, um, you know, uh, middle-aged to, to elderly a woman who uh, is just so sweet yeah. and knows, uh, knows Q's mom. Uh, which is such a nice touch because Q goes in, he doesn't, and it winds up being that he doesn't have the money for the gun. And then Sweets recognizes him and says, aren't you so-and-so's son? He says, yeah. She goes, tell your mother I say hi. Yes. And then she gives him the gun. Oh, it's a good scene. Absolutely. You know, there the, the little moments in this throughout, and, and the dialogue in this too, um, and this is just a back, since we're on the little moments bit here, but to backtrack to uh, what, uh, Trip Samuel L. Jackson's character early early on mm -hmm. this is just in kind of the character introductions you're I think you're at the pool hall for the first time and you're you're, you're seeing him and uh, one of his first if not the uh, first line of dialogue he has he's talking to someone else uh, I believe the diner owner or whatever and he's uh, just because you pour syrup on something don't make it pancakes uh, which I just thought well, it, it, that's it's such true. A, a, such a wonderful takedown of someone's cooking. Uh. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and, and, you know, hey, ain't that the truth? It really is. Um, you know, eventually it, it comes down to a sort of, 
you know, a, a, a prolonged chase scene between Bishop and Q, which leads through a, a apartment building where there's a party going on and eventually up on the roof. Um, and, you know, I mean, I don't need to tell you what I think is going to happen. One of those guys, as soon as they go up to that roof, one of those guys is coming, is coming down the hard way. And that is exactly what happens. Um, because it's New York and you can throw people off of buildings. It, earlier in that whole chase sequence is another one of these little moments that I love in this movie, which is um, when Q's being chased by Bishop and uh, Q runs into the building and he there's an elevator that dings yeah. open and it's just full of people. And Q gets in the back oh, of the yeah. elevator and Bishop's kind of in the hallway. And it's traditionally the moment where the, the villain looks and then maybe they'll run up the stairs to like catch you. But like you got in the elevator and you're mm -hmm. safe because of all the other people. But in this movie, Q looks at, at Bishop and just goes, essentially, he's like, what are you going to do? Shoot at me? And then Bishop does. <laughs> he just, and the people in the elevator are going yeah. crazy because they're getting shot at and they don't know why. Yeah. And it's just such a wonderful mayhem moment. Um, anyway, it's just, I, I loved it. Yes. No, it, it's it's terrific. I, it, and, and I like this movie a lot. It's just, it's so interesting because it is very... It's very split down the middle, and in and and it's two movies that I liked, and I'm not entirely sure that, um, you know, the it, it, the the chocolate and the peanut butter went together in this particular case, um, but I liked it a lot, and and I think it it's it's a really good, it's got really good performances from the the four main characters as well as the supporting characters, um, you know, it's it's really good, and and again, if you just as as another another pro tip if you're gonna let your your crazy friend get beat up don't let him see you do it like don't let him see you just just leave him to 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 be beat up by the other gang you 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 can't let him see that because you know he's gonna be coming for you after that <laughs> yeah yeah um but i liked juice i i i did think our second film today uh was an even more incredible like our second film today was really incredible, uh, and it revolved around a very different set of young men trying to grow up under difficult circumstances, and that's 1993's Menace to Society. So what are you going to do, KD? You going to mess around out there in the streets till you get killed? What's that, sir? You got to think about your life. Being a black man in America isn't easy. All I'm saying is survive. You need to be glad that you graduated from high school and that you're alive at 18. And you need to do something with yourself before you end up like he did. I'm not going to end up like he did, all right? Mother, mother. There's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way. Oh man, you know I'm down. But I also know that life has better things to offer than what's on the street out there. Why are you so worried about me? Why shouldn't I be? Menace 
to society. The hunt is on, and you're the prey. Like our previous film this week, Menace to Society was also a featured directorial debut. In this case, that of Alan and Albert Hughes, collectively known as the Hughes Brothers. They co-wrote the story with Tiger Williams, who wrote the screenplay. Menace to Society tells the story of Kadee Kane Lawson, who is trying to survive in the Watts neighborhood of Los Angeles. Kane and his friend O-Dog are drug dealers, and their lives are a continual storm of crime and violence. Uh, like Juice... There is also a convenience store shooting uh, that is, is integral to this film, but unlike Juice, where it happens in the middle, this happens in the very first scene. And uh, in the very beginning of the film, O-Dog murders a convenience store owner and his wife, and that crime hangs over the young men's heads as the film progresses. Uh, Menace to Society stars Tyron Turner as Kane, Lorenz Tate as O-Dog, and Jada Pinkett as Ronnie. It also features appearances by Samuel L. Jackson, again, Bill Duke, and Charles S. Dutton. And Rob, I had never seen this film before, and wow, did it blow me away. Like, it was fantastic and unflinching and uncompromising, um, and it was, it was honestly one of the most affecting movies in a, in a, in a in a way that's tough to actually put into words, to be perfectly honest. It's really something. Yeah, and completely different from Boys in the Hood, although closer to yeah. that mold of being, this is a drama film, first and foremost, that I think yeah. does have, I mean, it's got crime elements for sure, but it is, uh, it's less about the machinations of the dealing, etc., than it is about the characters and growing up. And from you mentioned that opening, you know, pretty much the opening scene in that convenience store. Oh, and it's the kind of scene that when you open a movie, you would often think um, that it's not going to happen here, but it'll happen down the road to show how far the characters have come. But no, you get it right off the bat. And no. it really signals this is a much, much graphically harder hitting movie than any of the ones that we have discussed before in yeah. This is a very, very imperfect, very imperfect uh, uh, analogy or comparison. This makes me feel like it's a, in, and I'll explain the differences. This with the voiceover that you get from Kane mm-hmm. throughout the movie, kind of talking about his life, and the way that there's almost this deadpan. Sure. There's really not much emotion in his voice to speaking about everything that's going on, um, and you get. It's almost like a precursor to uh, what Mary Heron's American Psycho in that way. Now the characters are radically mm-hmm. different, uh, obviously. Uh, yes. You know, and the tone is radical. Kane is not psychotic, right? It, just off off the bat. No. Kane is in many ways a very rational person, but just one who, uh, you know, has emotional problems and has some problems stemming from a very traumatic upbringing, which the the movie then takes us back to show. Um, and, and takes great pains. We'll to talk show. about that in yeah. a second. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, honestly, I felt like this movie was, you know, because it came out in 93, so it's a couple of years removed from, from uh, Boys in the Hood. Menace to Society almost feels like a deliberate response to Boys in the Hood. Like, whereas the characters in that film, even Ice Cube's Doughboy, feel like essentially good people trying to survive in a difficult world. The characters of Menace to Society are remorseless killers and they are unburdened by conscience or empathy. 
Uh, you know, if, if the guys from Juice are reminiscent of Saturday Night Fever, these guys are closer to Goodfellas. Um, and it's it's very, you know, but yet the film achieves a degree of, it's interesting how it achieves a degree of, of, uh, of investment in these characters, even though they're doing terrible things. And that is, um, to me, very much uh, the, the direction and tone in this, where I felt mm-hmm. that it, it almost has a kind of old school documentary feel, not visually, but just in tone yeah. where the camera is presenting things to the audience. It is neither glorifying yes. or more. It's not, it's, it's not moralizing. It is not um, building up or tearing down. It feels like they are taking great pains to visually be as neutral as possible in presenting this stuff, but they're not, yes. not shying away from it either. Um, and so I think that's where you get some of that to come out. And then um, you talked about the them being remorseless. Um, and what I found interesting is that they, uh, at, at a few different points in this movie, we see Cain uh, in particular uh, rejecting both Islam and Christianity. Uh, on multiple occasions, frankly, mm-hmm. and ridiculing religion. That's true. Um, and so that idea of um, the, the best of religion is thinking of others uh, and thinking about a yeah. greater place in the world. And this these, this is a character who explicitly in, in film text wants nothing to do with that. Uh, although, mm-hmm. in a very limited capacity, that very old school, um, well, the people in my group or my immediate uh, loved ones then that they I care about and you see that conflicting uh, set of beliefs and how they by the end of this film they really aren't uh, you can't do both things yeah yeah and it's uh, I mean let me start with the movie does an amazing job of contextualizing the world that Kane lives in we begin with an opening montage chronicling the Watts riots of 1965 uh, and then we shift to a sequence where we see the environment that Kane grew up in. And his father, played by Samuel L. Jackson, was a drug dealer. His mother was a junkie. He was routinely exposed to crime, drugs, and murder. His father, basically Samuel L. Jackson, plays the anti-Furious styles here for all intents and purposes. Uh, and his father was killed when he was 10. His mother dies of a drug overdose long, not long after, leaving Kane to be raised by his grandparents. And... It does this amazing thing of, of, of helping the audience understand Kane without sitting in judgment. Like, I, I, I watched that sequence and I'm saying, well, how's, how is this kid going to grow up any different when that is the life that he was, you know, that, that he was uh, ushered into? It's, um, no, again, I think like Scorsese, it, it, the Hughes brothers maintain this objectivity that neither endorses nor condemns Kane's life it just they just intend uh to to depict it to show you know this is who he is um it's a tough movie and it's it's an uncompromising movie but it's really good and um, and it moves this movie is so propulsive oh, yeah. uh going from one scene to the next you just feel like you're springboarding um which is it can often feel rare in a movie that is more character focused to have that kind of propulsiveness. Uh, it's, you know, it's not like they're trying to 
recover the Ark of the Covenant or something where it's like, oh, here's our straightforward A plot. Um, it's it's much harder right. to be propulsive when you're coming springing solely from character, and it's just uh, it's just you know I don't know. It's wonderful to see. It really does it because it doesn't. The, the, in a lot of ways, this is a, a movie without a, a, a traditional plot. You know, it's not like oh hey, they're trying to achieve this. In some ways, all they're trying to do is kind of survive. Uh, and Kane is even kind of ambivalent about that through most of the film. Like is. You know, I think his grandfather asks him, do you want to live or not? And he's kind of like, you know, what difference does it make? Yeah, really until about somewhere in the last half hour or so, you get the ticking clock where uh, Kane is going to wind up leaving with Ronnie. Ronnie's going to go to Atlanta. Uh, She's got a job out there. Well, he's presented with a couple of... Oh, earlier. He's with a couple of means of getting out. He's the the, the his two friends are going to go to Kansas, uh, and that's a possible way out. And then you know Ronnie, who is who is the uh, you know, it's his mentors. Uh, his mentor is in jail for murder and you know for life. But it is it is his mentor's girlfriend and and the father of his mentor's child who he looks in on, and she is planning to leave for Atlanta in order to make a better life for her and her son. And as soon as he makes that decision to go, it just feels like there's swords, there's multiple swords of Damocles hanging over his head. Yeah, and it's, um, and we'll come back to this later, but the, the thing that gets him in the end is very interesting. Um, uh, is it? Yes, it it, is. It's an interesting character foible of his that has let, that leads to the downfall and tragedy at the end, and it's not... It's not exactly the one one would expect coming into the movie, which uh, I appreciated. Right, because at the beginning we open with this shooting, which is 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 captured on the the convenience store's video camera system, and they take the tape, which is of course, but of course, O Dog starts rewatching the tape over and over again and showing it to people, and it's I mean it's insane. I mean it, it is really insane. But you're thinking, okay, well this is going to be the thing that at the end is going to kind of come back, and that's going to be what it is. But it's not, and it's it's something almost completely that at the beginning almost feels like a throwaway bit where uh, you know and and and. Well, I mean, let's get into it. He he. It, earlier in the film, he sleeps with this this other girl, and then she calls him up and says, "Hey, I'm pregnant." And he's, he basically wants nothing to do with it, uh, and then she sends her cousin over to kind of be like, "Hey, you got to do the right thing," and they beat up the cousin. Well, that sets in motion a chain of events that leads to the final drive-by shooting at the end of the film where, you know, they're outside literally packing to go to Atlanta and this car drives by and opens fire. And um, it, it's interesting who who lives and who dies in that scene. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and earlier you have a lot of other red herrings too about what's going to get Kane because he gets um, shot in a carjacking yeah and then they go out uh he and o-dog go out get revenge on that uh for that shooting because uh what uh, kane's cousin yeah. i think was killed during that uh first that yes shooting and it's a scene very similar to one late in boys in the hood where yes. you know they're going out for vengeance but whereas you know in in boys in the hood uh trey has it's the it's the question of whether he's going to go and whether he's going to participate here there's no doubt that anybody's going to participate you know, it, that's not even a question. Oh, and uh, just because we're around uh, the cane, cane getting shot and going to the hospital, in the hospital, 
Kane is watching yes. the classic gangster movie on the television. Uh, just ha- yes, he had is. to call it out because this is, uh, I think every movie so far except Boys in the Hood has had yes. a classic gangster movie clip playing on the television at some point. Uh, or I guess in Nino's case on his personal movie theater as well. Uh, well, yeah, and me, Nino selected the movie to watch. Like, he, clearly he's got his own, you know, uh, what was a top-of-the-line home theater for the for the time of the late 80s. Um, but here, I, you know, I, I it's funny because I was like, oh, well, in the last movie, I was like, well, they wouldn't watch White Heat. Like, would they really know that movie? Here, I don't. it doesn't bother me because he's in the hospital. You watch whatever's on. You know, you don't get to whatever whatever channel comes in in the hospital you watch. You know, there, another thing to go back to the the initial shooting that starts all of this off is that this movie uh, makes a little more explicit mention in that with having that whole scene of the tensions between the African American community and the Korean American community in Los sure. Angeles at that time, because uh, the convenience store is their their racial tensions are running super high between the shop owners and uh Kane and Odog before it happens. And this is much yeah, more explicit from, from minute 1. Yeah, yeah, from from the beginning. And this is a much more explicit calling out of those tensions. Uh Boys in the Hood had a, had a tiny nod to it. Uh mm-hmm. when Furious is giving the gentrification speech, he's in front of the Soul to Soul Realty billboard and that's not S O U L. It is Soul the right. capital S E O U L. Uh, I think I spelled it right. Uh, but in any event, um, so there was a little nod to it there because that's what Furious is denouncing. Uh, here, it it's a little uh, more direct. Yeah. And it's that, that opening scene, it's, it's so, in movies, you know, because it is fiction, you have a rhythm to the way a scene unfolds. And when there is, oftentimes there's violence, uh, that violence acts as the punctuation mark on 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 something that is is built up to it but in real life that's not how it happens violence often just happens almost seemingly like a, a freight train out of nowhere and that is very much the way it happens in the opening scene of of menace to society that the violence that happens is you is unpredictable and you know i mean it has reason it, there's it's there's a reason why you know there's the provocation but at the same time you just it's it's so out of nowhere it absolutely blindsides you and it feels incredibly authentic in that sense where there it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like movie violence it feels like violence in the world uh and that sets you up for this whole movie is like you're you're that's that's the that's the thing and i think uh that is one of the reasons why i i felt more in sync with odog in this movie than I did mm-hmm. with Bishop in Juice. Uh, because yes. as you heard me say, Bishop seemed too, you know, a little too uh, aggressive and crazy early on, and it didn't give him much, you know, much to go. And I felt like it could have been a, a, a bigger arc for him. If you watch Juice and then you watch Menace to Society, a very fair criticism of everything I just said would be Rob O'Dog. <laughs> is even more on point at the beginning of this movie. He's He is exactly the same at the beginning and the end. And I think maybe that's why I'm okay with it, is because he is a non-changing character. This is Kane's movie. Yes. Now, Juice is Q's movie. But the thing is, Bishop is supposed to... It feels like he is arcing in that movie, because he's going from a guy who is 
you know, protective of his friends and his group to a guy who will kill anyone just to to be by himself, right? O-Dog right. never really gets there in this movie. O-Dog's violence and proclivities are the, the same at the beginning, really, as they are at the end. Absolutely. Uh, but also, you could, you know, that's also just kind of hindsight. Sometimes you just, you like one thing more than another, and you try to justify it. Uh, well, that's you know, it's art, uh, Rob. That's that's the know. you know the, yeah. the effect. It's not science; it's art. You know, and 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 it affects us in different ways. And uh, and sometimes it's as much as we try to to kind of contextualize the effects that it has. Sometimes it's difficult to do. Um, you know, it's it's funny because this this movie continually seemed to to upend my expectations. Like as soon as the the the, 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 it's dropped that oh that uh, Ronnie is planning to 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 move to Atlanta. I was like, okay, well that's going to be the, his ticket out that he doesn't take. And you know, in my head, mm-hmm. I was I was I was getting ready. I will. Uh, this is a peek behind the curtain. I was getting ready to have the pithy uh, line of if Jada Pinkett asks you to go to Atlanta with her, you go. But at the same time, he does accept, which totally took me by surprise. But then from that point, it becomes a ticking clock of, is he going to have the chance to get out? And all of these things that had sort of built up, uh, you know, all of these different, you know, possible things that could serve to stop him from going, you know, are kind of coming to culmination in the last half hour of the film, the third act of the film. Um, What ultimately... And well, well, now we'll say it. At the end of the film, Kane is killed in the drive-by shooting. O-Dog, the unchanging character, survives. And he is, he's still, you know, he's still who he is. Um, but Kane, and then he's, as he's dying, realizes that he wanted to live after all. The, the question gets asked early in the movie, do you want to live? Eh, I don't know. Whatever. You know, what difference does it make? Um, well, he finally, you know, all too late, realized that the answer is yes, but that his death comes not from the thing that had been hanging over his head the whole movie. It comes from this this kind of toss-off affair that, he, the, you know, sexual encounter that he had uh, and that he gave no mind to. Like, he never expected that that was going to be the thing. Um, it's 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 really something this movie this is you know i've watched a lot of movies that that deal with you know terrible people committing terrible acts you know obviously goodfellas is is sort of one that i mentioned earlier but there's there is a an, a, a genuineness and an, a nihilistic authenticity to menace to society that i have rarely seen and it's it's extraordinary and there is in that end though um you could take it as as a slight redemption for Kane before, like literally right before he dies. Yes. In that Purnell, his mentor, Kane yeah. and, and Ronnie go to see him in jail. That's a great too. scene, man. Yeah. Oh, it's a wonderful scene. Uh, and uh, Ronnie, uh, Purnell asks to speak with Kane alone after Ronnie starts talking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's set up. You don't know if Purnell's going to be very happy about uh his his young mentee essentially going off with uh his you know his former lover and and the kid you know this is uh pernell's son who uh ronnie is the mother of but instead pernell is a changed man from having been in in jail we've been told that he's been working out and reading every book that they have yeah 
Uh, and, and here you see that here's a man who knows what he's facing. And this whole movie, you constantly have people trying to give Kane advice. Yes. And he never listens to any of it. He doesn't respect any of it. Right. His it's pa- not even his a grandparents. It, uh, uh, yeah. Charles Dutton uh, has, has a great scene as, as oh, yeah. the, the father of one of his friends. Um, but it's, it's that scene with Purnell in, in the prison. Uh, which is very, very late in the movie, where you think that there's there's a shift. And maybe not, an, and it, well, the, and the tragedy is, even if there is a shift, it's too late. Right. His, his karma is already written. Uh, Kane's karma is already written. Those You can't, you know, you can't put the horse back in the barn. But Purnell explicitly gives his permission. He says, please go to Atlanta with Ronnie. And he explicitly wants him to look after his son. And he says, teach him better than I taught you. Teach him the way we grew up was bullshit. Yeah. And as Kane's, as his last act, he jumps to shield the son. Yeah. Um, Purnell's son. And, yeah, he does, uh, he does the opposite you know, of what... He, sa- uh, he saves his life. Yeah, uh, of, of, of what we saw uh, uh, Nino Brown do in New Jack City where he, he holds the, the kid up like, uh, like Martin Sheen in the dead zone. No, he shields it. I want to add that, that, that Purnell is played by uh, an actor, Glenn Plummer, who is a character actor. You've seen him in tons of things. He's one of those actors who is in, you know, he's he's on the bus in Speed. Uh, he's got a terrific, you know, career. Um, you know, he's been in so many things. And he's in one scene in this movie as 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 Purnell in, in the prison. And he is fantastic. It is, it is one of my favorite single scene performances in any movie ever. And it is, it is absolutely heartbreaking and authentic and, um, Glenn Plummer, what you know, just just um, uh, again, he was on ER, he was on Sons of Anarchy. Uh, he has been around forever, and he is uh, he's terrific, and he's terrific in in the one scene that he's in in Menace to Society. I just wanted to mention that because uh, it warrants it. And also, uh, more th- more than one scene, but uh, Bill Duke fans, you're gonna get uh, oh yeah, a loving uh, a loving heaping of Bill Duke in this movie that is excellent as he always is. Um, he plays uh, a cop who yeah. is after Kane in this movie. Bill Duke, who directs him. one of next week's films. Yes. Um, but I, I also wanted to, we'd mentioned it, I teased it earlier, and I'm like, oh, I have not yet talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Hughes Brothers' visual style in this movie, yeah. which I think we would be remiss to not talk about. No, no, we have uh, to, absolutely. I mean, this, it, it's just amazing. The camera is, there's so much camera movement. You get, you get uh, some of that steady cam around the table mm-hmm. uh, that you get in, uh, in, in plenty of, of films, uh, including Goodfellas. Yeah. Um, and it, it really is the kind of direction, it, it doesn't care if it's calling attention to itself. Uh, it, it, it will be showy and be cool at times. But I will say it never takes me out of the movie. No. It's usually giving me a, a, a physical punch that's enhancing the scene. I always think exactly. Um, yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. It is um, you know they they are terrific uh, visual stylists, and and this scene, this movie is just uh, it's fantastic, uh, and it's you know and 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 the. Yeah, their use of the of the camera. You're right. It it it's not afraid to be showy, but and again, to me, I'll make the the comparison again to Scorsese, who I feel you know again is not afraid to be showy, but it always serves 
the function of enhancing the story rather than hey look what we can do with the camera um and yeah that's uh, the movie i keep thinking of is is goodfellas because it has that it has that sort yeah. of uh, as you say documentary feel where it's it's chronicling people a particular people in a particular place at a particular time and it is not standing in judgment of it which some people will misinterpret as um, you know, just because it's not as as endorsing it, but it's not doing that in any way. It is. It is just. It's telling you how it is. Yeah, and what's what's interesting to me is that I think very effectively so because people will get bent out of shape. Uh, these characters are doing awful things. How could you be condoning that? And I would say, if you think they're doing awful things, I don't think the movie was condoning it. Exactly. Because you, as the viewer, exactly were it. left with the impression that those things were awful. And so, to a certain degree, it, uh, I, anyway. But yeah, I, I don't I, want to get I've too heard far this, down that I've road. heard this with, you know, Scorsese, yeah. in particular with Goodfellas, whether it's Goodfellas yeah. or Wolf of Wall Street, um, you know, that it's, it's condoning it. I'm like, uh, you honestly think that that's what it's, uh, you know, uh, yeah. um, it's a, it's a tough picture. It's not one you just throw on. It's not like, hey, what are we going to put on today? Oh, hey, let's throw in Menace to Society. But it is a, uh, it, it's a, uh, honestly, it's just a picture. If you haven't seen it, it, you should see it. But but don't, you know, don't just throw it in on a Friday night. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's something you need to be prepared for. Yeah, if you want to have the Hughes Brothers movies to throw on on a Friday night randomly... Uh, that's going to be one we're going to be covering in a couple episodes, Dead Presidents, where that movie is just an amazing roller coaster ride. They take the visual style just up like three more levels, even from uh, Menace to Society. And uh, I, I don't know, it's one of my favorite looking films just of, of all time. Uh, I have not seen Dead Presidents, so I am looking forward to it uh, very much. In the you're going to have fun, my man. Oh, and we have a couple of uh, of directors uh, this in this series who will uh, have multiple films um, in 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 the course of this series. The Hughes brothers, um, and and as well as at least one other um, return engagement. So that'll be it'll be very interesting to see. Uh, you know, you know what's interesting when you mention that, uh, and I, I think this connects very directly to uh, you noted again that we had two first time feature film directors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Ernest Dickerson a little different because he'd been a DP for so long. Right. Uh, in this series, every single film we have discussed so far has yeah. been a first-time feature directorial debut by a, a black man. And I think you could probably take your own uh, critical thinking skills as to why that might be. Sure. Uh, why there weren't, uh, when you look at what was made in the 1980s, uh, why there weren't, uh, you know, dozens of, uh, black male directors around who had had a, a giant track record to make movies. Um, no, no, I, it's, it's, it is absolutely, um, worth pointing out. I think, I think that w- that's, uh, the place we're going to stop this week. Uh, and please join us next week uh, where we're, we're going to explore three films that kind of expand the boundaries of, of the urban crime drama. Uh, 1992's Deep Cover and Trespass and 1993's Judgment Night. Uh, 
Uh, we thank you so much for listening. Again, we are your hosts, Chris Iannacone and Rob Laborges. If you've enjoyed our show, please consider subscribing, following us on Twitter and Instagram at Get Me Another Pod. Uh, and if you can, leave us a, a, a five star review on Apple Podcasts because it really does help. Uh, tell your friends, tell your enemies. Tell people you feel neutral about and join us next time as we continue to explore what happens when Hollywood says, get me another. <laughs>